I want to talk about a little bit of my life story. I'll tell you a little bit of my life story. At least a part of it, the church part of it. I grew up with amazing parents, still have amazing parents, and a bunch of siblings. And, uh, and this is kind of how our weekends went. Saturdays started out with some kind of school sport. Always a big mission, always a family adventure, school sport. Uh, typically, we'd come home from school sports whenever that would be, and it would mean washing cars. Like, shout out to the children that grew up washing cars, like that generation, all right? I had a moment the other day when I asked my kids to help me just wash the wheels. It was a big idea. But anyway, I spent time washing cars. It was like my dad was just passionate about it. Shout out, Dad. You loved your cars. Good work. That's why they lost. And anyone who ever wants to buy a secondhand car from my dad, good luck. Good luck. They lost forever. He won't sell them. But this is the idea. We washed those cars. It was part of our Saturday routine. And then we would watch sports. So we would play sport, wash cars, and then watch sport. In those days, it was the Banana Boys. Anyone remember the Banana Boys? The Sharks of old and uh, the rugby team, this Natal rugby team, and we would watch sport, whatever that looked like, and then early Saturday night, this was just our family routine. Sunday morning was a church day, like Sunday was church, non-optional. And I'll be honest, there were times in my teen years where I probably like resented the fact that they never gave me those options, but I'm very grateful in my adult years that they never gave me those options because there's something about the routine of serving God's house and being in His church that pays off even though you don't think it might. I wanna build a church of parents and families that passionately believe passionately believe that it is the best possible training ground and soil for growth for their children. And so we would go to church and it was the Anglican church and uh, I remember kids church hoping for it to end early, just being honest, because uh, some of the people in the church would make snacks and often there were chocolate brownies in the Anglican church. And if I could get there before church was out, then I could enjoy what I was really there for, some good food. Later on, I realized spiritual food beats that, but brownies were good back then. And I was grateful for that. Well, my folks also served in church. Uh, my mom always served on kids. Uh, she was in worship or music and she'd be on the prayer team always. And my dad was on the hosting team. They had other names for it in the Anglican church, but in essence, he was hosting God's people week in and week out, serving them. He would also be on the prayer team. And then after church, we would go home and it was our Sunday chocolate. Anyone else have a Sunday chocolate? Like, can I just pause for a moment if you're joining us online? Like, we look forward to that the whole week. We didn't eat chocolate Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Hey, you did well in your swimming training. You got a, we, like mom and dad made us work for our chocolate. It came after church. And so anyway, we would drive home and mine was the Cadbury Sevens bar. Like anyone remember a Cadbury Sevens bar? Best chocolate on the planet. Bring back the Sevens. Anyway, why don't you let us know what your chocolate was? Can I take a break from the church service to find out what people like to chew on when they got a sweet craving? What's your favorite chocolate, Cunny? Mint Cadbury's. Wales? Crunchy, crunchy is a goodie. All right, well, anyway, we would have a chocolate and then we would go home and typically my family would entertain either our immediate family, cousins, uncles, aunts, brothers, we had a big one, or uh, people from the church. That was our Sunday. And then during the week, some form of midweek gathering would take place. We called it Bible study back then. I just remember people coming together and seemingly having a lot of fun and enjoying great friendship. This was my family's life. And when I look at their lives, I want you to know this. They didn't come from much. And when I say much, what I'm talking about is material wealth. My mom and dad grew up in very simple homes. They didn't have much financial blessing on their lives, but God started to add to their lives. I don't know if the story is true, but my dad's dad would even go down to a local pub and box a little bit for some pocket money. I don't know if that'd be true, but Gramps, you were a legend. Shout out to Grandpa who's not around, but life was hard for them. And, and I wondered as life went on, because I started to notice God adding to their lives. 
I started to notice God adding great friendships to their lives, God adding incredible business opportunity to their lives, God blessing their lives financially with family, with friendships, even in faith, the communities God allowed us to be a part of. And now Link Church's story, much of it has been birthed from the life that I grew up with in my home. And I watched it unfold and I thought, there's gotta be a secret and I have to, to summarize it. I think it's Matthew 6, 33. Like mom and dad may have not done everything right, but mom and dad sought first the kingdom of God. In their time, church mattered, midweek gatherings mattered. I remember them doing daily devotions and their talents, serving the church with everything they had, the greater good. But perhaps the most fascinating one, I'll be honest, was the treasure one. Like I remember my dad literally calculating 10% of whatever earnings he made that month growing up. He still does it, by the way. Like dad loves it. I don't know if it's like a passion or if he just feels that's where God's at. But I remember whether it was a salary, whether it was the sale of an asset profit, whether it was a dividend or whether it was some kind of like bonus pout, dad would literally put it in a pot and say 10% God is yours. And I kind of wondered, here's the question, does the word still work for us today? Does God's word, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God? Does it still work? Lost you for a second there, cameraman went to sleep. He didn't like my preaching. Does it still work in our world today? I believe it does. And so I wanna talk about treasure, the third of the three. And I wanna honor my parents, even though they're not in the room today, I wanna to honor them, I bet you they're online because they serve God in their time. I wanna honor them for building a life around Matthew 6, because it's in me, Dad. Can't help it now. Like every time my salary comes, Tess and I get pretty excited about giving away the first 10. In fact, we've set targets to give more because we've realized God blesses when our best is His treasure. I hope you're gonna get some freedom. Here's the big line today. Here's the thing I want you to write down. When God is first in our finance, we enjoy freedom from our finance. Now, notice the word I used there. When God is first in our finance, we enjoy freedom, not in our finance, although I believe that's part of it, but the bigger thing is from our finance. Come on, let's go and read Matthew 6 again together, starting in verse 19. I really hope this is gonna bless you. If you say amen to good folks, just give me a shout out online. Matthew 6 verse 19, listen to this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart is, there your treasure is. How many of you know that when God is first in your finance, your heart rests in heaven, not on earth? Therefore, when God is first in your finance, you aren't impacted internally by what you see on earth because your heart is impacted by what surrounds you in heaven. Can I keep reading? God's gonna set you free today. Not in your finance, although I believe He wants that. From your finance. Does it have a hold on you? The lamp of your body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in you, is darkness. How great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, here's where I got my line from, both God and mammon or God and earthly riches money. You see, to put God in your finance is to be freed from your finance. 
Therefore I say to you, Jesus says, verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you drink or what your body needs and what you put on. By the way, I think when it talks about eating and drinking and clothing, what it's speaking about is sustenance and identity. Do not worry about your sustenance or your identity because when your heart is in heaven, it's defined by Him. How does your heart get to heaven? You put your treasure there. Bible's clear. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And I believe you are, friends. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first. Did you notice how much came before Jesus says, seek first? He was giving us a perspective of our lives, sustenance, peace, joy, identity. And then he was saying, seek first in time, talent, and treasure. So it's not just about getting cool stuff. It's about being freed of this stuff. It's not just about getting what we think we want and need. It's about getting free of our unhealthy desire for it. When you put God first in your finance, He frees you from your finance. I wanna believe that God is gonna set some people free today across the screen. Freed from financial burden, freed from financial pain, freed from financial oppression, unhealthy desire. Treasure first in Jesus' name feel like I'm preaching. I've got to be honest, my heart's burning. If you're on your couch, don't leave. It's only going to get better. Here's the thing, friends. When God speaks about treasure, the issue is not finance, it's freedom. We hear finance, God sees freedom. Perhaps to say it another way, the issue is, or the subject matter, or the question is not what you own, it's what owns you. You know, some people in the church, I gotta be honest, I've heard this before, like, like money is evil. Money is the root of all kinds of evil. No, it's not. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is an okay thing. Money in the right hands, money in God's hand, freed from the evil curse of this earth when it has rule over us is a good thing. In fact, if you don't want your money, I'll take it. Money's not a bad thing. Come on, let's set the church free. Money's a good thing. God has added great wealth to your life. Bless you, sir. Bless you, man. Money's not an evil thing, but the root, the love of money, the root of the love of money is a bad thing, God says. And so when it comes to treasure, it's all about setting us free of the slave-like mentality we have toward money. This idea that God is forcing us into a life when actually He's trying to free us from it. It's the question. How do we put God first in our treasure? Well, you know the answer already. You've heard it before. If you're new to church, it's a simple word. It's called the tithe. In the Old Testament, we read the word tithe many times. In the New Testament, we read it as first fruits many times. It's, it's the principle of first. And I wanna talk about that just for the next 10 minutes because I believe this is how we put God first in our finances so that He would allow us to be free from our finances. It's called tithing. It's the principle of first. And disclaimer, uh, tithing is not for everyone. In fact, God is not gonna curse you if you don't tithe. I just need to say that. 
God is not gonna curse you because you didn't choose to tithe. In fact, God is trying to redeem us from the curse that is already on our finances because He said, cursed is the earth and all that is in it. So when He comes to provide a solution, it's not that He's the one cursing us, it's He's the one freeing us. Woo, I feel like I'm preaching from the curse. Let's talk tithing. Romans 11, verse 16. For if the first fruits is holy, then the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Here's the principle. Your first fruit is the root of your financial life. If the root is set apart for him, the rest of the tree will remain holy. If the root is us posturing ourselves in a position of saying, God, this is for you, this is my tithe, this is my offering, this is you first in my finance, then the rest of the tree will live in freedom. When the root is healthy, the tree is strong. First fruits. In fact, this idea of first shows up all over the scriptures. I wanna read a few to you, it's gonna bless you. The story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, God asks for an offering. Cain gives him some of his livestock. Abel gives him the first fruits of the harvest and God smiles upon Abel's offering because it is the first. God always blesses the first. Hey, here's the thing. God doesn't want everything. He just wants your best. When the first or the best is in his hands, the rest is blessed. A couple of other things around first fruit. Uh, Abraham was asked to offer his first and only son, all right, or his only, his, his, his God-given son. And so he gives it to, the best that he has is offered and God redeems it with a blessing. Lamb in the thicket. In Jewish culture, in fact, it was custom for the firstborn son to be set apart for the purposes of God. In Jewish culture, it was custom for the firstborn son to be given two thirds of the family inheritance. If you're the firstborn son, just give me a big amen right now. Just get those hands going. Remind mom and dad, bring back the customs. Amen, Jim Baba. Yeah, you shout amen on the front row there. Which is why, by the way, in the prodigal son story, the older son stays with the dad, the younger son squanders the wealth, and the older son complains saying, dad, why did you give him everything? And I got nothing. The dad says, hey, everything I have is yours. What the dad was saying, the lion's share was already yours because how it works in our custom is the firstborn takes two thirds. First fruits. A couple of other ones, let's talk about it. The harvest of the first fruits were always given to God so that the land could be redeemed. In Numbers 13, when they get back from spying out the promised land, they get, they're carrying grapes. I always thought that was to tell people there was big fruit in that land. But you know what it says? They brought the grapes to the temple as an offering and first fruits, which is to say they were bringing God the best of the land so they could redeem the rest of the land. Friends, I wanna tell you when you give God the best of your land, He redeems the rest of your land. It's a principle, it's a principle, it's a principle. I hope this is sinking in and blessing you. I want God's word to speak to you, not mine. 1 Corinthians 20 tells us, actually, let's read it together. This is gonna be good. Have it on the screen, 1 Corinthians 20. Did we get that? 1 Corinthians 20, 15, look at this. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the what? First fruits of those that have fallen asleep. Do you know Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the feast of harvest? Do you know that Jesus was a picture of the first fruits and it was in a resurrection moment, which is to say, if He rose from the dead, we all gonna rise from the dead. It's a principle. Jesus was the first fruit of all creation in resurrected form so that you and I will enjoy resurrected life. I gotta be honest, friends. I feel like God is wanting to speak to someone today. 
The first is his, the rest is redeemed and blessed. Jericho, Joshua built or fought the battle of Jericho. Jericho was the first city. You know what God said? Don't touch anything in it, it's mine. He gave them the city, but he said it's the first city, first of 10 major cities. There were others, 10 majors. God was showing them the principle of first. When the first fruits of what God gives us is in our hands, the rest of what he has for us is in order. And I'm not talking about having like excess finance, although I do believe that is part of the story. Truth is, Tess and I haven't always had excess finance. And there are still days where it feels like finance isn't flowing, but we are freed from the bondage of it. So whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I'm free from the bondage of finance because monthly God gets my first fruits and that doesn't matter how much is in my account because I know how much is in this one. What about this one? James speaks about tongue being the rudder of the ship. The smallest part directing the big animal. What if your tongue was the first fruit of your life? What if the declaration of your tongue was so important that what you spoke by it redeemed what came from it? I don't know, I'm just asking the question. Maybe you need to start putting God first in every area of your life. You say to me, Dill, I like the idea of it. I like the principle of it, but tithing is an Old Testament thing. It's a law thing. Well, let's go and read Genesis chapter 14. Glad you asked the question. Good to serve you this morning. Genesis 14, verse 18. This is pre the law, pre the commandments. 400 years sometime before the law and the commandments came and says this, Genesis 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, who is a picture of Jesus, the king of Salem, which means peace which is why he's a picture of Jesus. He brings out the bread and wine. He was priest of God most high and he blessed Abraham. Abraham's just won a battle by the way, just a bit of context. And Solomon or Melchizedek, the king of Solomon walks to Jesus, breaks bread as a picture of Jesus, walks to Abraham, breaks bread as a picture of Jesus and says this, blessed be Abraham of God most high. Blessing always flows from the greater to the lesser. This is not about us blessing God. This is about God blessing us possessor of heaven on earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand and Abraham gave him a tithe of all. Abraham's natural response to God's supernatural increase was first fruits. Long before this was law, you must X. If you don't, friends, don't be cursed if you're not tithing. Don't think God is having a go at you if you don't tithe. God is inviting you to start this journey of putting Him first in your finance to be freed from this thing of money in Jesus' mighty name. And some of you are sitting there saying, Dill, I don't have much. Can I tell you the good news? With not much, but Him first, you could live far more free than those with much, but him is an afterthought. You know, it's interesting in Genesis 14, just after God has blessed Abram, Abram gives a tithe of everything, this beautiful picture of honoring God with increase. I love it how he says, a tithe of all his increase. You know, hey God, is it my net? Is it my gross? Is it the dividend? Is it the profit? Is it if I sold my house? Hey, just decide what all is. Did you increase? Give it back to God. First fruit, simple. That's how we get free. But Abraham gets scared just after he does it. And I'm gonna be honest, like some of my friends in the room here, like just an honest moment. Every time I give, it's not easy. There are times, but like 
we rented our house over the holidays. We got some extra money and we really needed it. It was kind of challenging to click the go button. It's easier when it's just a debit order, right? I felt God say to me, Dill, you just keep honoring me with the first of your finance and you will stay free from your finance. And so we did it and it's not always easy. And Abraham gets scared and in Genesis 15, Abraham literally says like, God, I'm afraid. You know what God says? Abraham, I'm your shield, your protection and your very great reward, your provision. That word reward is literally the first time we read the word salary or wage in the Bible. So God says to Abram, Abram tithes of his increase, gets scared because he let go of it. It's scary, friends, if we're honest. I do, I love to tithe. It's the best thing in the world. Really? What about the dividend? You're still deliberating. Abram gets scared. And God says, Abram, I protect you, but wait, I provide for you. Not haphazardly, consistently. I will be your salary. I will be your monthly wage. I will be your continued financial support, which means you may have everything or you may have nothing, but I'll make sure you get through. I'm gonna start to close. I could preach on this for so long. It's a subject I believe God wants to release freedom on the church with. I think we've been crippled by this idea. I don't wanna talk about that today. It's never about finance, it's about freedom. God wants to set you free from your finances. The last scripture I wanna hang in is Hebrews 7, verse 7. You see, friends, when you put God first in your finance, He frees you from your finance. Hebrews 7, 7 says like this, Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Now Hebrews 7, uh, we believe it's Paul writing this, is actually referring to the Abraham story. The lesser is blessed by the greater or the better. Here mortal man receives tithes. I want you to hear this church. But there, which is heaven, he receives them. So Dil, when I give my tithe, which church do I give it to? I don't know. Just choose a storehouse you can trust. If you're listening into Link Church right now and you're part of another church family, I encourage you, go and sow your tithe into that church family. Link Church is blessed. We're gonna be good. It's not about where the church is at. It's about where your heart is at. When your first is His, the rest is redeemed. There's freedom. And so put yourself in some storehouse and sow faithfully into it. Because what the scripture says, here mortal hands receive those tithes, the church, but there heaven receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives, Jesus. Here's the last thought I wanna give you. When you put your first fruit of your finance in God's hands, here on earth it's putting it in a storehouse, but in heaven God receives it as a reminder of his son who lives. Every time you tithe, it's not just about putting your finances in order. It's about partnering with the gospel. Because every time you do something that reminds God of His Son, heaven smiles because Jesus is everything. The church is about Jesus. Our resource is from Jesus. Our lives are founded on Jesus. Our finances are free when they're in Jesus. And when you tithe, you partner with heaven saying, we believe that Jesus rose. Therefore, this is better in His hands than my hands. Therefore, this is better in His house than my house. This is what it's about, friends is putting your finance in heaven so that your treasure could be there too. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wanna be a church that reminds God of His Son in the way that I honor Him with my finance. In the way I steward my resource, a church that screams to the world that Jesus is greater than anything and everything that this world has to offer. And so I give the first of it because I'm far more excited about what He's gonna do the rest. And so in the highs and lows, I wanna be a church that lives free from financial burden. May you live free of financial burden. Last story, my little boy, Joel, bless his heart. 
I was praying for him one night and I walked into the room and I'm praying from a distance. I'm kind of walking in and I can see he wants to interrupt me. So I keep going in the hope that he wouldn't because I wanted to get out of there. But he interrupted me. He said, Daddy, I said, yes. He said, can you turn off the dark? It was pretty dark in our house for some reason. He was scared of it that night. I said, my boy, oh, and I smiled. I said, I can't turn off the dark, but I can turn on a light. And my boy may not know what I deposited into his heart that day, but here's the truth, friends. You may not be able to turn off the darkness that's in our world. You may not be able to turn off the darkness that's in some of your financial turmoil. You may not be able to turn off the darkness that feels like you're rushed in it. But what we can do is we can turn on the lights. We can put Jesus first. We could get the light to start to shine on our time and start to shine on our talents. And today, by God's grace, start to shine on your treasure. And whether you have much or whether you have little, may you find the faith to give God the first fruits of your finance so that the light could shine freedom on your household and on your friendships and on your businesses and on this world. If you're home, I'm gonna ask you to do something really brave. If you're in the house, join me, stand with me. I wanna pray with you. 